Far across the deep blue water lives an old German's daughter on the banks of the old river Rhine. There I loved her and left her. Now I can't forget her. She was my pretty Fraulein. Fraulein. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Cable Smith welcoming everybody to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Fraulein. A little Coulter Wall with Tyler Childers. Their rendition of that classic. Uh, I'm Cable Smith, by the way, and you are tuned in to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks to Dallas Safari Club, our title sponsor, as well as Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. It was great seeing so many of y'all out at the Dallas Safari Club convention last week. Let me tell you, uh, I got out of there pretty cheap. The only hunt I booked is Argentina 2021. So as someone who really has a background more in wing shooting, uh, duck hunting, dove hunting than big game, I mean, that's where I started, right, Uh, with a dog and a shotgun. Uh, This is a trip that I've always wanted to do but haven't had the chance to pull the trigger. So we're doing the mixed bag. It's going to be ducks in the morning, and you can shoot 25 of them every day. That's crazy, right, with lead shot. I don't even think they have steel shot in Argentina. All this stuff seems so foreign to an American uh, waterfowler. So uh, we'll see what that's all about. Then dove hunting in the afternoon. Uh, you can also do perdiz with pointers, which is like a, a like a chucker-sized upland bird. Or you can go golden dorado fishing, which if you don't know what a golden dorado is, a South American trophy fish much in the same vein as like a peacock bass although the fish looks totally different but uh yeah and i'm not trying to sell you on on this trip um maybe i will at some point but geez i'm just excited about that also saw so many familiar faces uh at dsc a lot of y'all introduced yourselves which it was great to uh to to shake hands and trade a war story or two uh so thanks for making time to uh to say hey i appreciate it Anyway, here's what's on the docket for today. Going to be a good one, guarantee you that, so you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old Stanley Thermos because we are ready to rock and roll. And off the top, a roundtable discussion with myself, uh, our longtime friend and world traveler, big game hunter, Corey Knowlton, and First Light's Kevin Hartlander. We sat down at the DSC show and and discussed the process of how one vets an outfitter or you know makes a decision on what you why is this outfitter better than that one uh cory has a wealth of knowledge on the topic and then he also has a horror story from his worst experience with an outfitter somewhere sheep hunting i think in uh, tajikistan or something like that uh but yeah it was a really crap your pants moment to say the least so that's coming at you off the top then we will spend some time with texas parks and wildlife white-tailed deer program leader alan kane and our game warden chief of staff kevin davis a chief of staff for all of texas parks and wildlife's law enforcement division Um, there's a lot of misinformation out there concerning what 
a hunter has to do when he harvests or she harvests game that is clearly infected, sick, or diseased. Um, I think people actually believe you have to eat that animal or you have to butcher it and take it home. Misinformation, right? Uh, Game warden doesn't want to eat anything nasty. Let's assume that they're regular folks just like us, and they're not going to make you (laughs) eat something that could be bad for you, like health-wise. So we'll discuss some of the common things that hunters come across in the field regarding that topic. And uh, we'll also, at the end of the broadcast, we'll keep Alan on. We'll let Chief of Staff uh, Davis go, and we'll discuss the proposed MLD regulation changes for white-tailed deer across the state of Texas. As uh, This has been a free program funded entirely by Texas Parks and Wildlife. If you aren't familiar with MLD, it's a free program that gives landowners the opportunity to manage their whitetail herd effectively from October through February, right? So rifle hunting for, what is that, five months? A uh, long season and a great management tool, but uh, it is a burden on the department, and they are asking hunters to step up and foot the bill for some new positions. So they need more help. Uh, it's been a lot of blowback, though, negatively from the general public on that topic. So Alan will break down the proposed MLD regulation changes, which, uh, by the way, it's currently open for public comment. So good, bad, or indifferent, uh, you're free to leave your comment on the Texas Parks and Wildlife's website. Then at the bottom of the hour, we'll wrap things up with a few of my favorite recipes from this fall. If you've got anything that once had feathers on it in that freezer, well, you're in for a treat, let me tell you. And that's coming at you at the bottom of the hour. A couple other things to mention. Our photo of the year grand prize vote is currently going on on my Instagram page. So if you sent in a photo or if you want to check out some of the better listener submitted images from 2019, feel free to do that. Cast your vote. And the winner will join me for a trophy access deer or black buck hunt down at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas, this spring. Maybe even uh, maybe even during spring turkey season, so a little added bonus there. Let's wrap up this segment with a quick giveaway. I've got a little hooker from our friends over at Skull Hooker. It's how I'm displaying all my Euro mounts these days. It's so easy, and the great thing is, is it saves space, right? You can uh, manipulate the direction that the skull hangs on your wall. It's pretty awesome. It's the little hooker. We're going to give one away. So to enter today's drawing, just uh, email the word skullhooker. I guess that's two words, but skullhooker to lonestaroutdoorshow at gmail.com. Up next, it's a roundtable discussion with my friends Corey Knowlton and Kevin Harlander on how to vet a potential outfitter that you might be spending a lot of time and money with. We discuss on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. And I'm headed down the Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. 
Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Live Oak Outdoors offers some of the best waterfowl hunting in the Central Flyway, hunting over 2,000 acres of cut rice along the coast that attracts wintering geese by the tens of thousands. Hunts take place out of layout blinds or white parkas over a spread of 1,500 decoys. It's also common to shoot pintail and other puddle ducks in the goose spread. Professional guides make sure you have a safe and memorable hunt of a lifetime. They're based out of El Campo, Texas. Check them out at liveoakoutdoors.com or you can book your hunt by calling Chris Slimp at 832-466-9646. Yes, there were times I'm sure you knew When I bit off more than I could chew But through it all, when there was little Frank Sinatra bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith here with you today as always. Thank you so much for being here as we are approaching, or actually we are in essentially a season of change at this point. Um, most whitetail seasons have wrapped up. I think maybe some of y'all are still hunting ducks. I'm going to Kansas this weekend for the first time ever uh, to chase some mallards and maybe some honkers. But essentially, you know, hunting season is winding down. And then February, I think, you know, I used to tell my wife, Meh, hunting season's only four or five months, right? Well, no, it's pretty much all year long. Um, but February's like that one month where there is no open season other than hogs and predators. Like, we're sitting around waiting for spring turkey, right? So we're about to get to that, that February downtime. And uh, I never like to see hunting season end, but February is a time when I like catch my breath and kind of catch up on sleep as well. I'm not saying I'm looking forward to it, uh, but if there's a silver lining, those things would be it, right? Um, anyway, we are about to get into an interesting conversation with longtime big game hunter, uh, hunt broker, and world traveler, Corey Knowlton, and uh, also our friend, Kevin Harlander, the community manager from First Light. We taped this at the DSC convention last weekend, so the sound quality might not be up to par, but you know, you're, you're taping something in an, a convention hall where there's literally thousands of people walking around, some of them walking up to you and trying to talk to you while you're taping it, which is fine. I'd love to say hi to everybody, uh, but just keep that in mind. Uh, I do think the conversation is pertinent, though, and, and you will find it interesting, especially if you are yeah, kind of concerned about, you know, the process of selecting the right outfitter for your needs and your budget. This segment, by the way, brought to you by First Light's new Ash Gray lineup. Um, I personally have hunted quite a bit in muted tones over the years, and sometimes camo just isn't in the cards. So check it out. It's First Light's new Ash Gray lineup. You can find it right there at firstlight.com. First Light, go further. Stay longer. Well, let's go ahead and jump into it here. An interesting conversation with longtime friends of the show, Corey Knowlton and Kevin Harlander. All right, so we're out here at the First Light booth at Dallas Safari Club, 2020 Heritage. We've got uh, Kevin Harlander, who's the community manager for First Light. We've got our longtime friend, Corey Knowlton, 
We're going to pick his brain a little bit today. First of all, Corey, though, we got to we got to get to the obvious thing. If anyone follows your Instagram account, <laughs> it's uh, it's all memes bashing a competitor. I don't see any first. I don't see any first. Well, okay, let's say not all memes. But you like to uh, come in or make you like to make funny memes, and I want to know what is the history there. You're always tagging people, and uh, yeah, talk a little bit about that. First of all, I haven't necessarily picked on any camouflage brand um, in particular. There's one that we all know about and that probably all have friends that wear their camouflage. <laughs> I'm, I'm very close friends with uh, a lot of their probably more high-profile wearers. Uh, what do you what do you call it? Let's I guess I guess yeah, just a pro, probably a pro staffer of some sort, you know. Yeah. Here's one thing about the memes that I think is interesting. I'm happy to make fun of. Yeah, bring it, bring it on, man. I'm happy to make fun of any of it. It's more, I would say, the memes are a really great way to communicate. You can you can speak really well without seeing it, without talking, I guess. Sure. And the key to being good at it is being able to make fun of yourself. So all of us have spent way too much money on this stuff. Okay, I'm not saying that I'm immune to this. Back when the the Under Armour heyday, I definitely spent plenty of money on Under Armour, plenty of money on rifles. But lately, I've been picking on the 6.5 Creedmoor. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. That's funny. Yeah, that's really funny. And so, so <laughs> and I own one. I've never used it. Yeah, you know, but I, I treat it as my feminine side. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. Shot an antelope with one this year. She and rips, we man. We all should have a feminine side. We should have one of these things. Everybody has it. It's nice to be able to talk firsthand experience. Mine's shiny. <laughs> it doesn't have a scope on it, which makes it probably just about as useless as it was. <laughs> should be. So, but, but, but anyway, I, I just try to have fun with it, and I, I start with myself. I have a really big nose, and I've always been I've always been told I have a perfect face for radio. So, Cable's testing that right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're you actually are handsome, you know, Cable, and Thank and you. since it's a place, I feel comfortable telling you that. <laughs> no, no, I certainly appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard they have a face for radio. I don't buy it, but uh. I buy it. I'm I'm all in. I'm all in on that one. Well, so Kevin, you know, we we started kicking around ideas for for this discussion. Yeah, and I was like, hey, we should get an outfitter and it kind of pick their brain on how people vet them. How do you yeah. say you want to go on your first international hunt? How do you vet that? Yeah, that outfitter. How do you start that process? And I said, you know what, Corey, not only has outfitted, he's personally hunted or guided for just about everything on the face of God's green earth. So that's where we're like, Corey's probably the perfect person for that. He's been on both sides both yeah, as yeah. the hunter and the outfitter. So as a hunter, Corey, how did you, how do you vet those? Like if you're going to go and you're going to book a hunt in, you know, to Jerkistan, is that a country? Tajikistan. Tajikistan. You're going to go, do a sheep hunt there. Like, uh, is it word of mouth? Or are, you, are you coming to DSC and, and actually having a discussion with those outfitters? It's funny that you bring this up, Cable, because it's changed a lot. I'm only 41 years old, and I was in this really early. I've only been in hunting uh, as far as professionally since I was 16. So then it was a lot different. If you talk about the late 90s, early 2000s, whatever, it was a totally different world. And the vetting process uh, is has evolved or gone through this catharsis from back then when it was paper. You looked in a magazine. You called people. Sometimes, in, in cases, I remember a guy who doesn't, you know, see their Rocky McBride hunted in South America. 
I spent like seven years trying to get a hold of him before the interview. <laughs> it was like I heard about him, you know, how do I do this? I found people that, and, and ultimately I was able to get a hold of him and became friends with him for a long time. So it's changed a lot, and it's even a lot more important today because of uh, the importation regulations in U.S. Fish and Wildlife. Because there's a lot, if you wanted to go to Tajikistan or whatnot, um, back then you could just go with somebody, and there have been five or six of them that would have took you probably, maybe even more. You would go sit down with them, and you'd book the hunt, and they just say, we're taking you to Tajikistan. Yeah. Well, what area are you taking me to? How did you guys procure these permits? How, you would go through it with U.S. Fish and Wildlife and apply, and there would be a little bit of background. So it's even more important today because our U.S. Fish and Wildlife, is, it's very onerous on the client, very onerous on the outfitter. You have to know ignorance isn't a, a, an excuse for not following the law. So back then, you had to do a lot of, of talking, even to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife. You've heard this outfitter. Also, I'd say Instagram is a really interesting way. Well, that's, I guess, what I'm, I'm wondering is, you know, question being, you know, like, here's, here's a bunch of people that, probably are excellent guides and outfitters their, their means haven't evolved right to, to the some of the younger generation um, they might not have an Instagram they might not have a great website a lot of like my generation that's going to maybe do these hunts is like well they gotta have a good website where's their IG handle you know right. it's interesting because that killing it on Instagram yeah yeah and, and that's not necessarily obviously a, a tell of a guy who knows what he's doing in the backcountry or wherever in the world and uh, that's the question is like how do you define like the, the phony stuff, right? Like, there's a guy that's got 350-inch bulls on his page every year, but is he? What, what's the deal there, you know? Um, I think by by country, for instance, if you were going to go to Africa. Sure. You generally, in my opinion, you want to deal with the owner of the area. If, if it's on a ranch, you might with the owner of the ranch. If I'm in an area, am I talking to the owner of the area, the actual leaseholder or the person that owns that quarter? I think that's very important. I'm not saying that there's not um, some middlemen people, and oftentimes I'm one myself. But then it gets a little bit muddier. Sure. So you want to make sure your money's going to him. Mm -hmm. He's the one who's responsible to sell his own hunts. Yep. He's the one responsible to take the hunt. Got it. So I think it's very, very important to talk to the owner of the area right. or the owner of those permits. Sure. Now, in Africa, the same thing. In Asia, and in, even in the United States, it's nothing. I mean, a lot of people here have hunted in, uh, a lot of your listeners have hunted in. New Mexico, hunted in Colorado, hunted with landowner tags. I mean, if you book through an outfitter, you never meet the landowner. You really even know if you're supposed to be there. Right. Yeah, you're just assuming a lot, right? There's a lot of people that just don't do the due diligence, I think. And that that's the biggest thing is that's probably what uh, a lot of, like, your role in some instances turns into, right, is doing the due diligence for folks and allowing them to not have to do all the work, which I think is Helpful, certainly helpful. Yeah, ultimately, you know, in, in my life, I've been a booking agent or a hunting consultant. I've been to go on these hunts with people and guiding all of it. I've been in every aspect of it. But if you're going to be a hunting consultant, for instance, if, if, if Cable is the outfitter and you are the guy booking the hunt, yeah. okay, and you call me and I'll hook you up with Cable, I have to advocate for both of you guys. Yeah, yeah. I say, okay, what's your interest and, uh, and what's your interest, Cable? And I have to make sure that that's like a communication. Yeah. Liaison work, yeah. Say, hey, you're making these mistakes. They say, hey, Cable, you're making these mistakes. Whereas, if you make one mistake, Cable makes three. Who's who's wrong? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, we've been married. I don't know if you've been married. But nope. I have. If I go out and I, and I get my wife pissed three times, and she gets me pissed once, and we're both pissed off. Here. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, so I think that um, if you want to look at the source of your troubles, look in the mirror. So, in the outfitter's case, most of the time, they can find out what they did wrong. Right. And one. 
because most of the time as a hunter, if you missed or you did whatever, you didn't send your deposit. Yeah. Like a lot of people, they just want to just slide the blame over. Yeah, yeah. And if you, if you both take care of your own four walls, yeah. And, and my job, it's making them aware of that. Got it. Got it. So like when you're walking down a row at this place um, at a big convention like this, you've got maybe like – Let's say you're going on a moose hunt, right? And you've got 15 or 20 guys that are slinging moose hunts. If you're an individual not using a broker, you're just doing it yourself, how do you select that? Like, what is the, what are you looking for in that? If you're doing it on the ground yourself, you know? Let's start with the process here. Yeah. What type of moose are you looking for? Exactly. That's a question, I guess. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking like first time ever hunting moose, right? So. An Alaskan moose, a Canadian moose. Well, I think that's part of the question, right? That's part of the. A lot of moose and budget friendly, right? So Newfoundland. I mean, is a great place to yeah. Did you know that though before? Or did you research well, that I, yourself? I, I was like, I want to, I want to go on a moose hunt, but I don't. Me personally, have twenty five grand or whatever it is to go to Alaska. You mm-hmm. Well, he's like, well, it's seventy five hundred bucks. Yeah. Okay. Tell me about what I can expect from uh, a population perspective. I want to see moose. I want to experience the rut. So yeah. like, yes, we we have that. You know, you can expect a moose to come into a call. Uh, your your guide will be very adept at calling. Probably a second or third generation yeah. guide. To be honest with you, Newfoundland's a you know it's a blue collar place. Yeah. And uh, so for me, that was that's how I met it. Got and it. I'd probably talk to three or four other ones and mm-hmm. and uh, talk to people that had hunted yeah. with Brad. And, and that's anyway that's how I went about it. So the first step, probably doing the groundwork, so to speak, for yourself to understand what you're going after first and foremost before you yeah. Yeah, got it. Yeah, be honest with yourself about what your goals are and what you can achieve, and then and then be succinct as you can. For instance, if you're at the show, you go over there, you talk to them. A lot of the people that you talk to here are talking to hundreds of individuals, maybe even thousands. Um, their minds are kind of a little bit garbled. Like I don't even know how many days I've been here. I don't know what day. Yeah, yeah. I think I know where I'm at right now. It's about the extent of it. Yeah. Um, Good Lord, I, didn't, I can't take any more of it, guys. I apologize about the, the audio quality there. Uh, just too too much background noise going on at the uh, convention. And uh, so uh, there was a funny moment <laughs> towards the end of that conversation. We'll have to get Corey and Kevin back on. It literally ended up with Corey somewhere in the mountains of, uh, like, Uzbekistan or something and eating they fed him, the outfitter literally fed him raw goat when it was like 120 degrees out. That's what they ate in 120 degree weather. Well, of course, they got some twisted version of dysentery or some intestinal thing going on and just diarrhea for days. Uh, so, Corey's going to tell that story again uh, coming up in the near future. I think he's actually hog hunting in Hungary right now. But, uh, yeah, stay tuned for that because it's a good one. That segment brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. If you missed this year's convention, no worries. Still plenty of opportunity to get involved with DSC. We'd love to have you. It's a great group of folks who are passionate about hunters' rights, education, and conservation. For more info, check us out at biggame.org. Up next, what do you do when you shoot an animal that has uh, been infected? Maybe it's got a wound, diseased parasites um we visit with texas parks and wildlife law enforcement chief of staff kevin davis and our whitetail program leader alan kane on the lone star outdoor show they 
Hey guys, Cable here, and uh, I want to tell you about outdoor access. See, access is the one thing I hear hunters complaining about the most. They don't have a place to hunt, but they want to, right? Well, outdoor access is the solution to that problem. Think Uber, but for hunters. It's a membership-based program. It's only $9 a month, but it gives you access to a list of properties for uh, hunting whatever you want. You want to hunt deer one weekend? Great. You want to hunt ducks on another property the next? Fine. Turkey on another? You have dozens to choose from. And it's a lot less expensive than paying for a traditional 52-week lease. So if you're interested in basically what I call Uber for the outdoorsman, use the activation code Lone Star at checkout. Just go to OutdoorAccess.com. That's OutdoorAccess.com. And use my promo code Lone Star for 30% off your membership. That's OutdoorAccess.com. Well, I'd never rode a horse, but I'd seen it done. Cowboy movies made it look like fun. This old man whispered a few soft words. It was the best advice I ever heard. And sit tall in the saddle, hold your head up high. Keep your eyes fixed where the trail meets the sky. And live like you ain't afraid to die And don't be scared Just enjoy your life The late, ride. great Chris Ledoux bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. One of my favorites there. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you so much for being here as we are talking all things outdoors today. And we're about to get into some, well, you know, people talk about wanton waste, right? Um not utilizing the whole animal when you harvest it or and this wouldn't be a hunter but this would be a poacher if you just shot something and left it in the field right um there are however some misconceptions that exist concerning what you have to do legally and ethically you know ethics is a part of it but if you harvest something where the meat is clearly tainted in one form or another um what should you do? What can you do? So we'll be joined by uh, a couple of folks who know a lot more about that than I do coming up momentarily. But first, this segment brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. You can find their entire lineup of blinds and feeders right there at allseasonsfeeders.com. And uh, without further ado, let's bring on our next guests. First of all, we've got our Texas Parks and uh, Wildlife Law Enforcement Chief of Staff, Kevin Davis, is here, along with our old friend, Alan Kane, a Texas Parks and Wildlife Whitetail Program Leader. So thank you both very much for being here today. Yeah, appreciate the opportunity, Cable. It's certainly great to visit with you. So uh, Alan and I have visited many times over the years, but we've never had the pleasure of having you on, Kevin. So tell us a little bit about what you do as Chief of Staff for our uh, Game Warden Department. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, so here on uh, staff at Parks and Wildlife, I oversee several of our um, our job functions. Mm-hmm. Uh, primarily, we have three outward-facing uh, strategies for law enforcement. We have uh, 
wildlife enforcement, we have fisheries enforcement, we have boating law enforcement. I oversee uh, those three strategies and the assistant commanders that fall under those programs. Additionally, uh, we have a strategic planning section where we, uh, you know, we do long-range planning for our, our needs as far as equipment, and, uh, and we forecast those needs and, and purchase accordingly. Okay, so have you always been on more of the administration side, or were you actually a game warden, just so we know what, a little bit more about you? I've been a game warden now for 24 years. Uh was originally stationed up in northeast Texas in the Franklin County area. Uh-huh. And promoting from there and going over our special operations uh, side and doing environmental crime enforcement uh, all over the state for a period of time. Uh, went over to the Game Warden Academy as a lieutenant instructor for a period of years and ended up in uh, Lano, Texas as the uh, captain out there in the Hill Country for a number of years. And I've been here at headquarters now for the last uh, five or six years. Well, Lano, I mean, it, it's great to get promoted, but Lano sure seems like a, a lot nicer than living in, in Austin, I'll tell you that. Atlanta was really, really nice. It is a beautiful part of the state, no doubt. Um, Well, what I want to discuss today is something that happens more often than people realize, and that is the harvest of a tainted, diseased, or infected game animal. It's not like it happens every day, but, you know, personally, I've harvested ducks that had uh, rice breast, and while I've read, you know, everything says, hey, they're okay to eat, uh, there's a visible parasite there, and I'm just not interested in eating it. So... You know, I I wanted to. I think common sense comes into play. I don't think game warden is going to make you eat something that uh, falls under those things that I mentioned, if it's uh, infected or tainted or diseased. Um, But on the same hand, you know, I posted something recently on on social media, and and a guy commented. He said, "We're hunters. We eat nasty stuff. It's what we do." And I was like, "That's not the reward that I'm looking for at the end of a hunt. You know, uh, eating something nasty. I'm I, I I eat everything I kill." Um, but if it's infected, I'm not interested. So, what do you? How do you guys handle that when when you come across a hunter in the field, uh, Kevin, who's harvested? Let's just say, let's start with ducks that that have a you know a parasitic infection or waterfowl. Oh yeah. So we, you know, obviously we encounter folks that that harvest lawfully harvest game all the time, mm-hmm. and we uh, we encourage and actually the law requires to keep the edible portions of the lawfully harvested game animals, game birds, uh, in edible condition. What that actually means, though, is, uh, you know, you have a, a duty to care for that, uh, that the meat on that animal until you get to final destination. So those rules and those laws are designed uh, to keep wanton disregard for game uh, out of play. And so we uh we ask that everybody keep the edible portions of those of those animals and birds uh in edible condition until they get to the house. Now once they get to the house, we do not regulate whether somebody has to eat that animal. Mm-hmm. The law clearly allows for uh exceptions to the rule of keeping meat in edible condition for meat that is not edible. And it goes on to articulate that uh certain instances where where normal people would not think the meat was edible. Uh, some of those instances are obviously diseased animals. Mm-hmm. Some of those instances are decayed or rotting meat that's visible to the to the eye. And then uh and then also another example would be meat that is destroyed by the harvesting of the animal. In other words, uh bloody bloodshot things things of that nature. Okay. And so like 
for instance, um, Alan, what are some of the more like visible and, and you know, like CWD and EHD. Okay. Generally speaking, people aren't going to harvest a deer that's infected with one of those because, uh, you can see visible signs, especially on, uh, you know, EHD kills them very quickly. They're going to be acting right. So you're going to know something's probably wrong with those, but what are some of the other, are there any other like minor diseases or, or, uh, infections and things of that nature that, that uh, people might not be aware of? For the most part, I think hunters are going to run into deer that have injuries or, or may have pneumonia or something like that. Uh, so especially during times of rut, uh, bucks are fighting and one will get gored and then say in the hip, for example, mm-hmm. and then, uh, you know, they may harvest that buck and, and then they get to cleaning it and they'll see an infection there in that muscle tissue. A lot of times you'll see a a pus or a hard mass and there'll be an infection within that and uh, those are more common types of injuries or disease type things that hunters are going to encounter where they may like okay i'm not i'm not going to eat that hind quarter the rest of the carcass is fine um eat and consume it's just things like that where a lot of times we have infections um you'll see deer with brain abscesses occasionally or they may have a food impaction <clears throat> as long as you're not consuming those areas um you know, you're all right, especially things like food impaction. And if you notice things like, uh, you know, they may have pneumonia uh, in their lungs or just look really poor and worn down, um, you know, the, the meat's con- uh, safe to consume, but you want to stay away from those organs and those other uh, types of tissues there. And, and like anything, you want to make sure you cook your meat uh, thoroughly. And uh, Well, then you burn it. Something <laughs> well, within reason. I mean, venison, as you know, cable is uh, it, it. You can overcook it pretty quick. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. You just want to make sure you you cook it thoroughly without, uh, you know, especially if there's a question. And and but I think for the most part, those injury people see more often, mm-hmm. or just a minor infection due to something else. You know, there was we were collecting age and antler samples off deer and some blocker plants in San Antonio. I remember a fellow brought in a deer and uh, it had a big lump on the side of its neck and uh, he was wondering what that is and we cut into it and it looked like it had been gored and there was this huge mass of just pus and infection. Just an abscess, yeah. Yeah, just an abscess and so I said, look, just don't worry about the neck, but everything else is fine and and that's typically kind of what folks encounter out there, things Uh like that. So I've I've shot um, deer before that have had little abscesses on their face where they probably got stuck by a tine and uh, pus, you know, was localized in, in just that area. I've never had a big giant abscess. Um, if the animal smells and it's clearly like, uh, and this this one's for for you, Kevin. If it's if it stinks, um, what, should you call the game warden or should you just go ahead and butcher it regardless and, and take it home? I know you said you're supposed to take it to its final destination, but if it's clearly rotting, uh, what advice do you have to, to someone in that situation? Uh, so it is an exception to keeping things in edible condition if it's obviously decayed or rotting or okay. infected or diseased and you can see it. So there would be no there would be no requirement under the law to notify uh, law enforcement. However, we uh, – you know, we encourage our, our, our lawful hunters to, to keep us in the mix is how we get information, is how we solve crimes, and uh, it takes a partnership from everybody. Okay. Here's one for another one that I've encountered. A buddy sent me a bunch of halibut that he had caught in Alaska. I start cooking it. 
full of worms. I looked up, you know, these worms probably are they're fine once cooked, but you can see them when you're eating them. It's just uh, it's not something I wanted to do. So into the trash it went. I just uh, I think there's a misinformation out there that you have to eat these things. And I'll tell you this, I spoke with someone from the USDA um, and uh, they informed me that if, if they had a cow come in and had any kind of abscess whatsoever, they they just said the whole animal was tainted. That might be a little extreme um, for what we're talking about, but just something to think about there. Uh, yes, sir. You were, you were talking about misinformation and, uh, and I kind of paint a picture for you uh, as it relates to final destination. So you, you get home, you harvest, let's say you harvested a deer, you process it and you put it in the freezer. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, Go three, four, five, six months go by, and your freezer goes out. Everything in it gets ruined. Mm. There's no, there's no violation of law there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about um, this? This is this is for you, Kevin. It's a little bit of a of a, a different direction, but say you come across uh, an animal that is clearly injured to the point of you know it's it's a fatal injury. It's it's been hit by a vehicle. It's dragging a leg or um, something of that nature. Someone calls you and, and tells you what's going on. What is your, what is the game warden's general response? Go ahead and put the animal down, or um, that's just kind of nature's way, and and there's nothing we can really do about it. Well, that's a great question. Uh, there's several parts to your question. Obviously, we don't have the authority to tell somebody to dispatch an animal on the side of the road. It'd be a, a violation sure. of, of of the law there, but. Uh, Given the same situation on on private property, uh, a landowner might call and say, "Hey, I've encountered this. What should I do?" Uh, we would authorize a dispatch of that animal at that time. Okay, interesting. Because I've heard I've heard people say that they've called and and you know they they weren't given granted the uh, permission to do that. So uh, you know there's a discretionary aspect that is probably game warden or game warden there. If you did harvest an animal that was infected or, you know, had had an abscess and was clearly smelled and, and the meat just wasn't safe to consume, would, is there a way to get a, um extra tag or do you have to still tag that animal? I guess so that's a, another fantastic that question. So you're, you, you are saying that the, the, the animal is obviously diseased and not, uh, not going to be edible and and acting weird, and you decided to go ahead and and, and harvest that animal. Uh, at that point in time, there is statute that covers that, uh, and it would not require um, you to expend a tag on that. However, it would generate an interest from law enforcement to want to get to the bottom of that situation. In other words, it's always best to include law enforcement in that decision. So, Kevin, in your time. As a game warden, have you ever come across one of these situations where you know a hunter's in the field and um, the the animal it appears to you to to not be safe for consumption? I mean, have you have you actually encountered these in the field these these situations? Yes, I have. I've I've encountered animals that have obviously been hurt before they were harvested. Mm-hmm. I've encountered animals that have obviously been sick before they were harvested. And uh, and yes, in that instance, I would advise the person to not consume that animal. Can we all just assume that uh, game wardens are people too, and have you know they have common sense just like us? And at the end of the day, they probably don't want to eat something that uh, that we don't want to eat. Very well stated. Yeah.
Okay, well, well, Kevin, I, I certainly appreciate your time today. Thank you for shedding some light on on this. Uh, like I said, just people have been asking. It's like, well, I got, you know, and go back to rice breast because that's clearly one that isn't going to hurt you. But when I'm sitting there cooking something that I can just see parasites all in it, I, I don't, I, you know, personally, I don't want to eat that. And I'm not, and I'm saying, you know, ethically as a hunter, of course, we want to use every ounce of meat that we can, but uh, there are situations out there where, uh, it's okay. If you say this thing's infected, uh, you don't have to eat that. Um, so anyway, Kevin, um, thanks so much for your time today. I certainly do appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. There he goes. Our Texas Parks and Wildlife Law Enforcement Chief of Staff, Kevin Davis. Um, and you could tell he was a little guarded there. Um, and I think he had to be, right? Because he doesn't want to convey the message that you can just throw away anything that you find the tiniest thing wrong with like uh, like the buck that I shot that had the abscess on his head where you just gotten stuck with uh, by the tine of another deer. So, yeah, the meat's still fine, right? Um, so he had to be a little careful there, understandably, but I think the message was conveyed that, to sum it up, cave wardens are just like us. They're not going to eat anything that isn't, number one, palatable or uh, a health risk. So just keep that in mind. That segment was brought to you by Our Luck Outfitters, Newfoundland's finest moose hunting outfit. That's who I just went with in October. Uh, if you're looking for a budget-friendly moose hunt, and let me tell you, I had to buy a new freezer, <laughs> which is a good thing, but you're not going to spend 20k like you would if you want to go to Alaska or the Yukon. If you're in a position to do that, more power to you. But I certainly wasn't, and I still had a hell of a time. Got a nice bull, saw some of the most beautiful country that I've ever set foot on. Uh, the people of Newfoundland are as friendly and hospitable as they come. Check it out. You can find Our Luck Outfitters at ourluckoutfitters.com. We will be right back with Texas Parks and Wildlife Whitetail Program Leader Alan Kane. He's going to stick around and dive into the proposed MLD regulation changes. We do it next on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. She just caught the Jamestown Ferry. It's not a hot day day. Like she said it'd be if she ever left me. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Are you tired of waking up at 2 a.m. to fight public land skybusters? Cable here for Three Crow Outfitters and their new North Texas Duck Club, which consists of over 3,000 acres and 40 water bodies throughout Ellis and Navarro counties. Three Crow does the planting, provides metal blinds, decoys, and posts a weekly scouting report. All you and your buddies do is reserve the property you want and show up to hunt. 
This opportunity is limited to 10 four-person memberships, so for the waterfowling experience of your lifetime, go to 3curl.com or call 214-641-8097 today. Texas beautiful. Keep Texas free. Keep her wild and natural. Little Jerry Jeff Just bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players as well. Cable Smith riding shotgun with you today. Thank you for tuning in. We are talking uh, white-tailed deer management and some proposed regulation changes with our Texas Parks and Wildlife whitetail program leader, Alan Kane. And did you know that from a management perspective, the Managed Lands Deer Program is widely respected by other southern states, some of whom have tried to emulate that management tool offered by Texas Parks and Wildlife to landowners and hunters alike here in the Lone Star State. Uh, And we're going to get into a few proposed changes momentarily with Alan. But before we do that, this segment proudly brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. You know, I just got my kudu back from my first South African safari with John X Safaris. It might be my new favorite mount, y'all. I'm not kidding. The attention to detail, I mean, they really made this kudu come back to life, so to speak. Amazing uh, pedestal. Just, I'm blown away. Check it out on my Instagram or Facebook pages if you want to see a picture of it. It's truly, um, it's a work of art. And Rustic Reminders, they do amazing work, and they offer a fast turnaround time. Of course, that changes a little bit when you have to get it all the way back from Africa <laughs> first. But anyway, check them out. GR, the number eight mounts.com. Um, let's go ahead and continue our discussion with Texas Parks and Wildlife Whitetail Program Leader Alan Kane. Thanks for sticking around, my friend. Sure. I'm glad to. I saw a press release. I've seen some other stuff on, on social media regarding a uh, a comment period for some proposed changes regarding the MLD program. Not real well versed on it, I'll be honest with you, um, but I figured there's nobody better to talk to you than to you about that. So would you give us a rundown of what is being proposed and uh, what all it entails? Certainly, Cable. Glad to. So I think to give um, the listeners a little bit of context, I'll provide just a a bit of brief, brief background about the MLD program. MLD's been around for 23 years, I believe, uh-huh. and uh, back in 1998, we had about 3 million acres and 800 properties under MLD. Today, fast forward 20-something years, and we've got nearly 12,000 properties and 28 million acres enrolled in the MLD program. Over that 20-year time span, we've not hired a new field biologist to help administer that program. Mm-hmm. And so obviously is you have that much program growth and you're not hiring new staff that presents some significant challenges to wildlife division staff, uh, especially when you're talking about the staff resources or staff be able to get out there and answer those technical guidance requests to landowners and provide the assistance they need to administer the MLD program and handle all the other stuff that our staff do, whether it's CBD sampling or agent antler and and just all our regulatory surveys. So so there's a lot going on there. 
And so back in 2015, um, <coughs> staff came forward with a proposal to the commission uh, to modify the MLD program, simplify it really, to give uh, landowners and participants two options to choose from one kind of an automated option that doesn't require a lot of assistance from staff and another one, the conservation option that gives uh, landowners customized recommendations and kind of that one-on-one -on -one working relationship with our staff. And that was adopted at that time. At that same time, our advisory committees, um, there's actually a subset of the private lands advisory committee and the white deer advisory committee mm -hmm. that recommended that the uh, the commission and the department considered charging a fee for participation in MLD with the intent to use that revenue to fund additional positions. And so <clears throat> it's taken a couple of years to get through the legislative process, and it was adopted this past session. Um, and so here we're sitting uh, today with the proposal um, that I brought forward to the commission back in November. And to boil it down real simply, for the harvest option, it would be a uh, charge of $30 per management unit that's enrolled in, in that harvest option, whether you're an individual property or you're an aggregate, which could be a conglomeration of multiple low-fence properties um, owned mm -hmm. by different landowners or treated essentially as one ranch. A lot of times, people with very small acreages will cobble land together, so to speak, and um, to receive tagging. So anyway, that, that self-serve option, the harvest option, would be a $30 fee per management unit. And then the conservation option, which is the one that receives that customized assistance, so to speak, it'd be three hundred dollars uh, flat fee for the first management unit, which most properties out there we're talking about under MLD are just a single ranch treated as a single management unit, mm -hmm. and it'd be a three hundred dollar fee. There is some examples of ranches that have multiple high fence pastures or a combination of high and low fence pastures. And in those instances, it'd be a $300 fee plus $30 for each additional uh, pasture that they're enrolling in the program uh, that has a distinct harvest recommendation. And then for wildlife management cooperatives out there, so um, that happen in kind of the southeast part of the state primarily, it would be a $30 flat fee for each management unit enrolled in MLD through that co-op. And so you might have a co-op with 500 members um, that are all receiving MLD uh, tags and participation under the umbrella of that co-op, and there would be a $30 fee for each of those. And and so <clears throat> that's the the short version of what that proposal looks like. Um, and it would generate, you know, if everybody stayed in the program right now, somewhere between $1.5 and $1.8 million, which would fund a significant number of biologists to really try to address some of this uh, challenges our, our staff are facing in the wild division. Mm. And uh, and so we, uh, <clears throat> the uh, commission gave us uh, permission to publish that in the Texas Register in early December. It went out. And so now we're out for public comment. And uh, we'll come back, in, in fact, next week on the 22nd and 23rd, and I'll be presenting to the commission this proposal again for their consideration for adoption. And uh, and so that's sort of where we're at um, today. So how many positions? I mean, you said over a million dollars. That's uh, that's certainly more. <laughs> I'd love to be a biologist that made a million dollars, right? But uh, how many positions realistically do you guys plan to uh create with that revenue ideally we'd uh 
you know, we could get somewhere between 12 and 15 positions um, with mm-hmm. that sort of money, um, you know, and then uh, we probably have a little bit left over and that would be used to help support the ongoing maintenance, the IT maintenance associated with the land management assistance online uh, system that we have that it helps landowners administer in our staff administer that program, whether it's printing MLD tags or in your harvest data and just other other information associated with the program. That's all done electronically now to help streamline and, and provide some conveniences to landowners and our staff. And so that part of that money would go to that. But the vast majority of it would go to positions. And we're talking somewhere between that 12 to 15 mm-hmm. positions. Uh, and that gets us a long way down the road. And this is an annual fee. It would be an annual fee, and that's correct. And uh, for you know, a lot of folks that uh, have been providing comment, I think there's some misunderstanding. A lot of negativity happen. I've seen. I'll be honest. I mean, we're, we're just going to call a spade a spade. A lot of people are less than thrilled uh, about it. Sure. Yeah. And uh, so a couple things. One, the, the fee, if it was adopted, wouldn't happen till 2021. So we've got to – because we have to actually – build the IT part of the system um, to be mm-hmm. able to handle payments. So there's a little bit of time. Addressing the public, public comment right now, yes, there's about 80% of those folks out there that uh, commented disagree, and we've got a little over 630 comments to, to date. And it's understandable. The MLD program has been um, free of charge for in, since its existence, and um, and I think that's important to note. And understandably so, but and what does MLD stand for? We I think we skipped over that uh, just on accident at the very beginning. Yeah, good point. MLD stands for the Managed Lands Deer Program. Mm -hmm. And for those that don't know what MLDP is, um, it's a program that uh, offers landowners um, essentially a flexible season uh, or extended season and potentially enhanced bag limits on their property. Um, and there's some requirements. So for the harvest option, uh, like I said, it's kind of self-serve. You have to get in the, our system, create an account, draw your property boundary, and then the system makes an automated tag issuance uh, recommendation for that property. And that's the, that's all the deer that can be harvested. So in other words, if you had 500 acres and, and you went into the system and you, you did the harvest ops and it recommended two bucks and two does, that's all you could harvest on the place. You cannot use hunting license tags, you know, use MLD tags. And for some people that's great because they get nearly a five-month season, and uh, and that may be more than what they normally harvest on their property anyway. And so Yeah, they can start rifle good. hunting October 1st or whenever both season opens that first uh, – that weekend. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, closest to the 1st of October. Then they can – continue to rifle hunt all the way through, uh, I think, like, sometime in February. Yeah, the end of February, last day in February that, is when oh, wow. the season. Yeah. And so that gives folks a, a lot of flexibility. Great management and, tool. Um, yeah, and, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it's kind of a two-way street. I mean, it opens the gates uh, to parts off our biologists to be able to engage with these private landowners to talk about conservation, talk about deer management, and really benefit everybody um, out there, um, but things always come at a cost, and uh, we're you know the department's trying to balance you know the needs of being able to provide the quality and the level of service that we should be providing to MLD participants, uh, and <clears throat> without 
having the price so outrageous that it discourages participation and the and that's difficult, as as you point out earlier, with the, a lot of negativity on the public comment when the programs have been free for so many years, and uh, yeah, and so the commission will take all that into consideration. Well, I you know I feel like um, hunters generally don't have an issue supporting conservation, and and I mean these programs like the MLD program um, are certainly a big part of conservation white-tailed deer conservation in Texas, and um, I, it's like when the duck stamp went up and, and a bunch of people threw a fit. I mean, I'm, I've said it on the show. I'm standing in line at, at Academy, and I'm just listening to these people bitch about the duck stamp going up $15. Well, it's been the same price for since the 90s, and the cost of everything else goes up, and you guys have been doing this for free, so clearly there's a need here to fund the... If, if, it wants, if we want to keep it around, it needs to be funded, right, is the, is the long and uh, skinny of it. That's a good way to put it, Cable. And, um, and hunters have always been generous in paying their own way for everything. And in this case, landowners do, you know, that are enrolled in the program. And a lot of the hunters benefit from that extended season. But, I, you know, on the other hand, I've heard from a lot of landowners that are supportive of the proposal. And quite frankly, they said if we didn't have MLD, we could not get our deer management program done on the ranch. There's just... Even if you could run a number of hunters on there, it gets to be so much work, you know, trying to run so many people through there and and be able to manage that harvest and, and, you know, maybe what deer they harvest on the place if they're really trying to manage intensively for either old age structure or better quality antler quality Mm -hmm. or better quality animals. And so that just takes time and, and some flexibility. And quite frankly, I'm proud that Texas has the program. I know there's other states in the southeast that have called me and asked, hey, how do y'all do the um, MLD program? We'd like to model something after that. In fact, Florida's uh, got a a similar program to Texas and and modeled it a bit after ours. And I know Mm -hmm. Georgia just implemented one. And so uh, (laughs) a lot of these states have similar programs. And uh, quite frankly, I you know, Texas is one of the most successful with, in who can argue with 28 million acres under the managed lands deer program. Right. Well, and one other thing to mention, like most of the hunting operations out there and not all, but quite a few of them are under MLD. Right. And so they're using this as a tool to make money and they're, they're profiting off of it essentially. Um, and so for them to have to pay 300 bucks, uh, I don't see anything wrong with that, to be honest with you. Yeah, and that, it's that's interesting. There's <laughs> some folks that have suggested that we charge a fee only for those operations under MLD that are <laughs> making money. Selling hunts, the program. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, selling hunts. And, and there's certainly some out there, but there's a lot of folks that have talked to that they do this uh, because they feel an obligation or they care about managing the resource, whether it's the habitat of the deer herd, and uh, they want the flexion of that program to help them do that. And surprisingly, you know, 73% of the <coughs> management units or properties enrolled in MLD are less than 2,500 acres uh, in size. And so in, when we, when you start talking about wildlife management co-ops, 72% of those uh, properties are less than 250 acres. Now, I realize for you know, maybe me or you or somebody that doesn't have a lot of land, 100 acres, 200 acres is a lot. But, it, you know, when you're talking in the context of deer management, 
2,500 acres and less is really fairly small properties out there. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of these folks that are just doing it um, for the, you know, for the family uh, benefits and, and all the recreational aspects, but because they care about the habitat and the resource. Sure, sure. as we should be good stewards of the uh, the land and wildlife uh, as hunters. And, uh, and I think, you know, obviously we foot the bill for conservation across the board. Other people want to get on a pedestal and, and preach about animal rights and stuff, and then uh, they don't ever look in the mirror and realize they're not contributing a uh, wood nickel to to the to the uh, mission that they that they claim to be supporting. So, um, yeah, yeah, hunters always answer the call and and have been doing it um, well, essentially since the early 1900s, leading into the Pittman Robertson Act of 1937, I think it was. So, and that's one great thing about one of you know the conservation option. You know, those landowners get the opportunity to harvest bucks early with the rifle in October and then the long season, the customized recommendations from our staff. But in exchange for all that, they do a lot of, they're required to do habitat uh, management practices on the property. And so you really see a big benefit from that perspective, uh, uh, not only for the, those landowners and their resource on the property, the deer, but the people of the state of Texas benefit. I mean, when you have good habitat, you know, that translates into to good water going back in aquas that supports, you know, all the, the needs of people in these big cities, whether it's San Antonio, Houston, Dallas, or whatever. And so that's important um, to for the public to understand that there's a lot of benefit to habitat conservation. Folks from these programs are doing this management, that it benefits not just that landowner and the deer right there, but everybody benefits from healthy ecosystems. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one thing I do want to mention, um, and I love to hunt out west, like uh, heading into the mountains and, and chasing elk or mule deer with a bow is like, it's one of my favorite things to do. But, Alan, you have to put in for tags in a lot of those situations, um, sometimes for years to build points. And let me say this about Texas. I buy my hunting license, boom, I have a tag full. I, mean, I can harvest more deer than I can eat in a year. Uh, I, I love that aspect of, of being from the Lone Star State and, and having the rich whitetail tradition tradition that we have here. So you guys are doing a great job, and, and the MLD program is a, is a big part of that, has been now, like you said, for 25 years or so. Now, we appreciate the opportunity to visit with you and talk about this proposal. And, and, uh, and man, I know how you feel with the, the western states. I've been putting in Arizona and Colorado, and, you know, I've got 15 – 16 points in some of those states over there and it's just a process mm-hmm. but uh, so we're blessed in texas to have a one a, a really um big deer population across the state and then uh, the opportunity and access to a lot of those uh private lands well hey certainly appreciate it alan uh great to talk to you happy new year and, and thanks again for your time yeah uh we'll catch up again soon all right, there he goes, Texas Parks and Wildlife Whitetail Deer Program Leader, Alan Kane. That segment brought to you by my friends over at Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging Technology. If you haven't seen the Axion Thermal Monocular, it's got the compact size, basically like the size of your cell phone, with a, with a small price tag, but still all those features that you've come to know and love from Pulsar, including internal recording. Check it out, Pulsar Axion. Use my discount code LONESTAR when you check out at PulsarNV.com. You'll get 20% off of any of their thermal or night vision optics. Coming up next, a couple of my favorite recipes from this fall. If you've got anything with wings, uh, ducks, 
dove, quail, geese in that freezer, then you're in for a culinary treat right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. British Columbia is world-renowned for its beauty and wildlife, and Vancouver Island is revered as a magical place by hunters. Vancouver Island Coastal Bear Adventures specializes in taking mature trophy black bears with 18-inch minimum skulls in the 6.5 to 7.5-year range. They also have Roosevelt elk tags and only take Boone and Crockett bulls each fall. 60% of their guiding area is located on private land. So whether you're looking for a Boone or black bear, once-in-a-lifetime Roosevelt elk, or a giant cougar, They've got the hunt for you. Visit VancouverIslandBearHunt.com to book your hunt today. That's VancouverIslandBearHunt.com. Hey, y'all, spring is here, and that means a lot of things, but specifically, your lawn is about to become your own worst nightmare. That's why I use JC's Landscaping. They do everything from lawn and landscape maintenance to fertilization and weed control. New premium sod installations. Hey, you need a French drain? I had to have them put in a French drain a couple years ago. They do that, too. Landscaping updates, makeovers, stone borders, patios, and much more. Serving the North Dallas and surrounding areas, you can find them at jclandscapingllc.com and tell them Cable sent you. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. He tossed me a cold one, said listen up, all you really need to know, son. If something's stuck and needs fixing, or if it's unstuck and needs ticking, Things get tough, well, it's probably gonna come down to one or two things I've been around. WD-40 and duct tape, the name of that one from Donis Morris, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. We're about to get into a couple wild game recipes here during this segment specifically we'll focus on things that once had feathers so if you've got any birds of any kind in the freezer uh, then this is for you because uh, i'm not tooting my own horn but just playing around with stuff come up with quite a few dishes this fall that have just been mind-blowing like to the point where my wife who hates duck and goose she always says it tastes like liver but man uh, i've changed her mind this fall and we'll get into a couple of those here momentarily. This segment, by the way, brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit and Lone Star Beer. <laughs> Two Texas traditions. Uh, let's start with this one. It's been one of my favorites from, and I actually just made this one this past week. But if you've got any quail legs, which I know it's been a rough season, and I kind of cheated because we did a pen-raised hunt. And, you know, just to watch the dogs work. I mean, Bell had a blast. But the the birds flew well, and... And they taste great, right? So uh, I took all the legs, saved them separately, breaded them with a little bit of flour, a dash of paprika, and then into the skillet they went. Uh, use olive oil for this one. And basically, once you get them browned up really nice, you take your favorite wing sauce, put them in a mixing bowl, and toss them just like you would at your favorite wing place, right? Serve it up with ranch 
uh, or blue cheese, maybe some carrots, celery. You know the drill. But, man, buffalo quail legs, mm, tough to beat. Uh, so that's one for you. Uh, you could do the same thing. If you if you did save your duck legs, uh, that would also work there. Now, another favorite in the Smith House this fall, and one that will be a go-to going forward, is braised Lone Star Beer Goose Legs. And fortunately for me, <laughs> uh, my buddies, they didn't want the goose legs. So I got we shot three geese. I got all six legs, cooked up four of them the other day. Uh, and actually, Henry got to go on that hunt, too. It was a lot of fun. Got a picture of him holding two giant honkers. Uh, but, yeah, so take the goose legs. You can freeze them if you want. But uh, after you defrost them, you're going to take the old crock pot out. You're going to take two Lone Star beers, pour it in there, one can of diced tomatoes, or you can use Rotel. Don't drain the liquid, by the way. You want to put that into the uh, into the crock pot with the tomatoes. Then you're going to add... One packet of your favorite taco seasoning, whatever that is. Um, half a chopped onion. And toss the goose legs in there. Cover. Turn it on high and walk away. Come back five hours later and you're going to be left with fall apart goodness. I mean, so tender. You're not even going to know it was a goose, to be honest with you. Um, and you serve it over cilantro lime rice. Get some of the juice in there, you know. Uh, whew, that is a fine meal, I tell you what. Uh, last thing. Especially, you know, we've still got a little ways to go in duck season. so, And you can use this for duck or goose. But keep the skin on the breast. You, you don't have to um, pluck the entire bird. Just cut the breast out, leave the skin on, pluck the feathers from the breast. And what you do at that point... Um, you get a lot. I've just used a lighter, and you can use a to you know a, a blowtorch, mini blowtorch, or whatever those things are called. Uh, and you're going to singe all of the pin feathers, all the tiny little feathers, off there. Then coat it in salt and pepper. Put it in the skillet, a little olive oil, and sear both sides to medium rare. That skin is going to crisp up to a golden brown. Oh man, it's going to be phenomenal. It's going to add a layer of of flavor, a little bit of fat and crunch to that breast. You're going to serve it with, and here's the key, uh, I like to use apples, pecans, a uh, tablespoon of brown sugar, and you can basically just chop up the apples and pecans, add the brown sugar, and however much butter you can handle. Uh, I use, I think, a fourth of a stick. You're going to put that in a saucepan, let it simmer, Cook it down just a little bit, and then you're going to drizzle that over that goose breast. Oof, slice it up. Serve it medium rare. Ugh, man, I'm telling you, it is divine. And uh, the skin makes all the difference. So save the skin, save the legs. I like legs and skin. <laughs> a little skin never hurt, but there you have it. A couple instant classics. Uh, the, the, quail, the buffalo quail, that's something I've been doing a long time. The other two are relatively new for this year. I've I've played around with goose legs plenty of times, but that was the first time that I slow braised them. And uh, yeah, certainly left the skin on all of the duck and goose breast that I harvested so far this season. Man, I'm hungry. I don't know about y'all. Uh, that segment of the show, 
was proudly brought to you by John X Safaris. If you're looking to book the trip of a lifetime, send me an email, lonestaroutdoorsshow at gmail.com. I've already got the dates for this summer set in stone and 2021 as well. And we've still got room on both of those trips. I think I've got two spots for this year. Uh, That trip is July 25th through August 2nd. And then 2021 will also be the last week of July. Send me an email, LoneStarOutdoorShow at gmail.com if you want to be a part of either one of those. Love to have you. Um, Unfortunately, we are out of time. Got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to all of our guests today, uh, Corey Knowlton. Kevin Harlander in some what was turned out to be questionable audio. Sorry about the quality of that. Uh, we'll try to get both of them back on and, and have Corey tell that funny crap your pants story somewhere in the mountains of Tajikistan or Kazakhstan or Uzbekistan. Who knows? But it was a stan. Also want to thank Alan Kane and Chief of Staff Game Warden Kevin Davis from Texas Parks and Wildlife uh, for their contributions to the show. Thanks to you guys and gals for being here. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. And ain't enough dance halls in Texas Keep a heart and mind occupied I'm trying it all the time